1999 The Podcast is a production of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts on movies, comics, and all things pop culture, head to cageclub.me. To contact us with questions, comments, or just to say hi, send us an email at 1999cageclub.me. You can find me on Twitter at ProbablyRealJB and Joey at SoulPot. And you can follow the show on Twitter at 1999thepodcast. To support the show, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. The show is written, produced, and edited by us. Welcome to 1999 The Podcast. I am John Brooks. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. Joey, I got a question for you. Yeah. What's the difference between morals and ethics? Freeze frame. Here's where I am. (laughs) I don't remember. I knew at one point... I watched the movie yesterday. I know it kind of explains it. Morals are innate and ethics are, or morals are personal, ethics are societal. Is that basically it? Um, Imperfectly, yes. Yeah, that's that's a a good kind of like rule of thumb for it. Um, I teach several ethics classes or I have over the the years. And um, have you ever taught a morals class? I have once. Oh, I thought the answer was that was going to be no. It's less interesting um, because it is so dependent on, because like, like you, you know you teach about different sort of like moral um, framings in in different religions and stuff, right? So it's it's less interesting than ethics, which is a lot more sort of like real world stuff. But um, yeah, basically like morals is the self, ethics is the social, and ethics is like the application of morality. Um, Right. So like when you have conflicting morals or agreed upon morals, then you build a system of ethics around that. And uh, yeah, but it's very funny because I, I'm like, oh, I've had this conversation many times in many classes. I don't know that it's interesting. And in, I mean, not not for the podcast. I just like in, in class. I don't know that people I don't know. I don't know. Like they feel simply I know that they're related. They also feel different. And I don't know what the lesson he's teaching actually is. Well, it's a public school, right? It's Or is it a private school? I can never tell. I, is it a private school? I don't think so. I think it's got to be a public school. So if it's a public school, like, why is there, why is that a subject anyways? Like, that never happens in public schools. It's very strange. Well, it's a movie. Um, well, I know. I know. But also, I feel like, oh, I don't know. I can never tell because the sister gets kicked out of that school and then goes to a different private school. I don't know. Maybe there's- Yeah, but know. you can get expelled. I don't know. I know. I don't it's get weird. the sense from these people. Like, there's no uniform. There's nothing like that. I get the sense that it's a public school, but who knows? Yeah. It's a public school with an ethics class and a lot of weird politics going on. Anyway, uh, today brings us to April the 23rd and the release of one of the year's most notable box office duds. More on that in Mm. a moment. The sophomore feature for writer-director Alexander Payne, following up his critically acclaimed minor indie hit Citizen Ruth, and predating a string of three giant indie successes about Schmidt, Sideways, and The Descendants. Uh, which, I, by the way, not the one with the Disney villains, a different descendants. Based on the sophomore novel by Tom Parada, who would go on to write two other novels adapted to critically acclaimed moving picture form, Todd Field's 2006 feature Little Children, and some HBO series I've never heard of called The Leftovers. He also wrote Mrs. Fletcher, which became an HBO series too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I've heard, I've heard of The Leftovers. It might be really? my favorite show of all time. Oh, interesting. Uh, complete obscurity. No, I'm just kidding. Uh no one's going to get that in joke. We both love the leftovers. Uh, and starring Matthew Broderick, Reese Witherspoon, and Chris Klein, today's movie is the high school comedy slash political satire slash brutal takedown of misplaced American social priorities, Election. Joey, mm. 
What's election about? Election is about Midwest malaise, kind of. It's about a type A overachiever student played by Reese Witherspoon who wants to run for class president or student council president. It's a it's a it's a combination of words that I've only ever heard in this movie. I think it's like student council, student bot, I don't know, whatever. Class president, let's just call it that. And she thinks she's gonna run unopposed, but Matthew Broderick her teacher who hates her for being an overachiever basically and dealing with students like this all of his teaching career decides to encourage the former due to injury high school quarterback starting quarterback of the high school football team played by Chris Klein gets him to run for class president so that he can knock he can unseat or win out over Tracy Flick the type A Reese Witherspoon character meanwhile uh Paul, who is the Chris Klein character, I feel like this is a very it's, simple story, and I'm struggling with not the plot that summary in a way that, like, being yeah. Malkovich, I was just like, here's a very simple. It's about a class president uh, election that Matthew Broderick sabotages, is found out, and uh, cast aside, and, and it is the most serious for. high school election in history that everybody takes way too seriously, and um, except for one candidate who points out how dumb it all is. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it um all right so i mentioned that election was a dud when it came out i want to clarify what i mean by that so with a budget somewhere between 8.5 and 25 million dollars which depends on really who you ask that's a very big gap it's a big gap uh those are the two numbers that you see pretty much everywhere and i think it probably has to do with not factoring in uh distribution budget or marketing budget um so maybe the raw production budget was 8.5 but it's a very strange disparity but i think most people think it's the 25 number is like the price tag because a lot of its kind of success or lack thereof i think is measured against that um it earned 50 million dollars at the box office making it the 98th highest grossing movie of the year right in front of the Meryl Streep drama Music of the Heart, a movie I'd entirely forgotten existed. And I've never heard of. <laughs> no, I've heard of it. I've just never seen it. Uh, and right behind Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross director James Foley's The Corrupter, starring Chow Yun-Fat and would-be 9-11 thwarter Mark Wahlberg, also a movie I'd forgotten existed. Also a movie I'd never heard of, and I got excited for a second. I'm like, wait, have I been getting it wrong? Are we actually going to get to watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross's podcast? No, that was like a decade, almost a decade earlier. So you got me hopes up for a second to then talk about a movie again I've never heard of. I think this was Chow Yun-Fat's second English language movie. I'm That's pretty cool. sure his first one was The Replacement Killers, which was also, I think the uh, directorial debut of Anton Fuqua, but I, I might have that information. Oh, okay. Is it good? It's pretty good. I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty good for like a first Chow Yun-Fat English language movie and a first, you know, another music video director who transfers over to features movie. Like it's a pretty stylish and cool action movie and very 90s, right? But like, I don't know if it would still sort of, hold up i am i've never seen the corrupter and now i'm kind of excited to see him uh <laughs> because like when you have a director like james foley of gloom gary glenn ross making like a very sort of b movie action movie like uh that i've forgotten about that's that's kind of interesting i want to i want to see if it's any good but i feel like that's kind of like what the 90s is all about it's like forgotten b movies yeah, but like that not this be, year. That's a, that's a slight this, exaggeration. Which is why this year stands out. It's really hard to find those ones this year. There are a few of them. Um, like the the um 
uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Skeet Ulrich uh, action movie Chill Factor. Um, what about End of Days? Your beloved End of Days? That's kind of well, uh, in that vein. Uh, it is, but End of Days was such a giant movie that was so bad. Um, mm. That Still it's haven't seen of, it. We'll get to it uh, eventually. Can't, I can't wait to see that movie. All right, let's get back to election. What went wrong with election? Well, if you ask the critics, nothing. It has a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes of the 115 reviews and a 79% audience score. But John, how many of those reviews were thrown out in the garbage? So 117 reviews. Uh, <laughs> and a must-see seal along with a score of 83 on Metacritic and even even higher audience score of 8.7, which is rare to see on Metacritic that you have the audience score outweigh the uh, critic score on that site. Metacritic lists 30 reviews as positive and three as mixed and zero as negative, which is, again, really uncommon. Uh, among the biggest fans of the movie, frequent show nemesis David Edelstein, who wrote, quote, American satire rarely comes more winning than election, an exuberantly caustic comedy that shows the symbiotic relationship between political go getimism and moral backsliding. It feels miraculously fresh. And Entertainment Weekly's Lisa Schwartzbaum, who wrote, quote, Alexander Payne's scathing, subtle, and complexly funny tragic comedy builds a perfect off-kilter universe. It's a first cousin to Rushmore. And like Payne's 1996 gem Citizen Ruth, Election is a sophisticated morality tale. The production benefits terrifically from Witherspoon's great, steely performance, which inspires Broderick's striking, career-deepening turn as a sneaky adult. The smattering of social reviews all seem to target the same issue, which is tone, such as The Village Voice's Dennis Lim, who wrote, quote, the film never finds a confident tone, or Ross Anthony of Hollywood Report Card, who wrote, quote, I felt uncomfortable for nearly the duration of this tremendously well put together piece, <laughs> which I think is kind of the point. Right? Yeah. Like, I feel yeah. like that's how you're supposed to feel the entire time. And I agree, by the way, like I, this movie makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Um, more so than it did before I was a teacher. I, will well, I, say I think what works about this, and I'm sure we will talk about it in the episode, is that why I think it's effective is that it's like a, it's like a train crash in slow motion. And like, you know, exactly, maybe not exactly, but you know pretty much how this is going to play out. And it plays out that way. And you're like, good, <laughs> I'm glad. But also, ugh. That's a fair way to say it. And I also think it has a weirdly in watching it again, it has a lot in common with another movie from this year that we hated, but we'll talk about that later on. Um, I didn't realize quite how much overlap there was between those two movies. Um, but more on that uh, shortly. There is one really bad review from someone named Christopher Brandon, who I've never heard of from something called TNT rough cut, which I've also ne never heard of, which says in the film that it is quote, dumb, dumb, dumb. Um, no, you're dumb, Christopher Brandon, whoever you are. Maybe you're very nice. I don't know, but that's a stupid review. All right. That guy wanted to vote for Tammy. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it was a pro Tammy review. I should read the whole thing. Um, maybe that's. I don't whole... think you should. I think we don't need to give TNT rough stuff or whatever <laughs> anymore. Likes. TNT rough cut. Mm, I like rough stuff better, but all right. Capital R, capital C, but all one word. Um, very, very stupid. In addition to its critical success, it was nominated for an Oscar for Adapted Screenplay. Witherspoon was nominated for a Golden Globe. And Election won the Independent Spirit Awards for Best Feature, Best Director, and Best Screenplay, as well as finding its way to a bunch of critics' year-end best-of lists. So again, what exactly went wrong? Well, as was the case with 10 things, one answer is The Matrix, and one is Columbine, and the other is The Mummy. 
Election was released in four theaters three days after Columbine during the Matrix's domination of the box office and expanded to a wide release of just 827 theaters two weeks later at the same time The Mummy opened. Election proved to be a promotional nightmare, in part because a bleak and cynical look at high school culture in the wake of Columbine was not exactly the easiest sell, and in larger part because it's basically impossible to fit the movie into a neat genre description. Political satire? Sort of. High school comedy? Sort of. Drama? A little. Dark? Yeah. Edgy? Very. And the whole thing was further confused by the fact that MTV Productions distributed the movie, doubtlessly putting off the target audience, which is to say the sorts of people who like the sort of movie Alexander Payne makes. Due to the fact that A, MTV Productions' track record hadn't been especially great, having released movies like Joe's Apartment and Dead Man on Campus. Uh, I won't count Beavis and Butthead Do America here, which is obviously a great movie, and obviously mm-hmm. it was MTV Productions, but like mm-hmm. that had a had a back uh, story coming in, right? That had a built-in sure. audience. And B, the biggest uh, studio's biggest breakthrough into hit territory outside of Beavis and Butthead was Varsity Blues that same year, which was followed by another dud, the now cult classic 200 Cigarettes. In short, nobody really had any idea what they were paying to see when they bought a ticket for election, and Columbine aside, that is box office poison. But like other 1999 films that didn't break through in theaters, Election endured on home video in large part because its themes of inanity, of politics, and the superficiality of the so-called American dream have hardly become less relevant as time has gone on. Um, But yeah, this was a nightmare of a movie to... Uh, to sell. And I remember, I didn't see it in theaters for that reason. I was like, what is this? I was like, is this a teen movie? Is this like, oh, the guy who did Citizen Ruth? I'd seen that. And I was like, that's weird that he would do this. And like, is it like Citizen Ruth? Or is it not like Citizen Ruth? Or like, what the fuck is it? It was no one knew what to make of it. And because of that, more than anything else, I think it just went completely overlooked. Well, and I think, so there's a combination, like I, I've seen this a couple times already. So when I rewatched it this weekend, I was surprised when the MTV logo came up because like it makes sense, but it's also, this is not, it doesn't fit their aesthetic. And I no. think even within the movie, there's like lines, and I think we'll talk about it when our guest joins, but there's things in here that you're like, you think it's one movie and then a character says a certain thing in a certain way. You're like, oh no, this is not the movie I thought it was at all. <laughs> And I think like it works because of that, but I can see someone who hasn't necessarily, you know, lived with the movie or had time to process the movie and like their task to market it and just like, oh boy, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, like Tom Parada in general, you know, has a certain way of writing and certain things that are themes that he's kind of obsessed with and like, you know, sort of the there's always like a psychosexual nature to all of his work, uh, you know, like this underlying sort of like darkness of American suburbia. That's kind of part of his work. And there's that fits into like what's happening in this movie as a high school movie, but like, it's not a high school movie. And when MTV productions comes on, you're like, what the fuck's happening? <laughs> right. You're like, how are these two things the same thing? It just sort of is like, you expect, even with Joe's Apartment and Dead Man on Campus and Varsity Blues, which is, which is a minor hit, you know, you expect like some laughs, sort of like maybe a little bit edgy kind of comedy, but like not good. Not like well, a I'll, good I'll, I'll, movie. I'll say the line. I'll say the line now that I'm that stuck in my head that like when I hear it every time, I forget that it happens, and when it comes up, I'm just like, oh. But it's a line from Paul in narration. Yeah. I sure was surprised the day Lisa Flanagan asked me for a ride home and ended up blowing me. It's just like, wait, what? <laughs> exactly. 
And like it fits and it works, but it's also like the way he delivers it and the way that it's like built up to, and it's just like, oh no, like these kids are adults. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, this is not the movie that I thought. And also like the, I mean, I don't want to get too far into it before we, you know, bring our guest in, but like there's stuff about this that I'm just like, man, this is like, it, it works and it's natural. And I think it's good because of that, but it's also like, oh no, this, like it, it catches you because you're lulled into something for any number of reasons. And then, it, you know, about faces. Yeah. And, and like, I, that's what I mean is that I think even <laughs> because as you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, this is a different movie than I thought it was like scene to scene. Mm-hmm. And somehow it all works and somehow it all makes sense as a movie. But on top of all of like the nobody could figure out who they were trying to sell it to or how they were trying to sell it. It's also like. Even when you went, even if you could figure that out and someone went to go see the movie, they'd still be like, oh, this is not what I thought, you know, from five minutes ago uh, as to what this movie was. Right. Um, there's one scene, I think, that sort of is the is the one I think there's one that's even starker than the one that you mentioned. But we'll we'll talk about that later on. Oh, I know. Exactly. There's there's only one line that, you know, that fits that. And it's not entirely <laughs> totally dissimilar from what I just said. It's not. It's not. But that's when you're like, what is happening? That um, It's said in a way that you're like, oh, this is a metaphor, right? Oh, no, it's not a metaphor. That's actually no. what he's talking about. Okay. okay. A real thing, and it's not good. All right. Um, we'll, we'll By the way, I want to say, because I don't know if we'll talk about it in the episode, but Tom Parada just put out this summer a sequel to this book called Tracy I Flick Can't know. Win. Oh, it's very cool. Yeah, I, I want to read that. Um, and it does or... feel like I don't I don't know if she would want to, but it feels like it. I, I, I haven't read either book. Um, I've read the leftovers, and I own a couple of his other books. I think including yeah. election. I, I, the only one of his that I've read though is the leftovers. Um, but I, it feels like the kind of thing that like whether he wrote it this way or not would be like a return to like a like Reese Witherspoon could absolutely I think sink back into this role and like just do that thing again. Well, do, is it? Do you know if it's if it's like temporally concurrent? Like is is it set? 20 something years after election or is it like her in college tracy flick is a hard-working assistant principal at a public high school uh, in uh, there New it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so totally there could be a, a sequel to this movie although it kind of like i don't know because again i don't know what the you know how this compares but that the, the movie does not end in a way where she would wind up as an assistant high school principal also true so maybe that was not in the novel maybe that was in the screenplay well, I know the ending of the screenplay is different from that of the novel. So um, okay. anyway, we can talk about more more about that later on. Uh, b- 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 all right. So given that it's still technically a high school movie, <laughs> we decided it would be fun to bring on a guest who is something of an expert in the field. So Joey, who is our guest today? Our guest tonight is someone who has already covered this movie on his podcast he also came on to too fast to forever to cover varsity blues with us i think behind the paywall though at patreon.com slash too fast to forever we have the host of high school slumber party and also uncle francis's wine cellar in case there's any francis for coppola connections in here that i missed <laughs> just in case we have with us tonight brian rodriguez we are um we're we're pivoting to an all brian podcast uh it seems i mean it works so far right so it's our third Brian. And and fourth episode with a Brian, second in a row with a Brian. Yeah, fourth fourth episode, three Brian's, two consecutively. It is uh in a partridge Brian. in a pear tree. Brian the podcast. Uh, by the way, uh Brian's also on Hard to Believe twice. Uh both to talk about nineteen ninety nine movies. So weird. Um Serendipity, as John Cusack would say. Alright, we'll be right back with Brian Rodriguez.
Brian, welcome to 1999 The Podcast. Lovely to have you, and happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Well, thank you. <laughs> I didn't expect that, but uh, always happy to celebrate my my, my uh, peoples, I suppose. The people. The people. <laughs> what are you doing to celebrate this month? Um... <laughs> did you did you know it was? Because I did uh, not. Of course, I knew it was definitely. You know, also Roberto Clemente Day ha- happens in Hispanic Heritage mm-hmm. Month. Wait, it's, is it is it Hispanic Heritage Month in the month that we're recording or the month that this releases? Recording. Oh, I don't know when it recording. releases. Oh. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be over by the time we release. But. Well, it comes out on Monday, and and every Monday in the future is October or beyond. So every Monday from here on out is October. That's just a new rule. <laughs> They're all October for now on. Happy spooky month. You're very nightmare before Christmas, Joey. Um, yeah. Thank you. Well, you're just, you're personally wishing me a happy Hispanic Heritage Month. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter mm-hmm. when this gets released. So I thank you for that. You know, I, I don't get wished that often, but it is a very important month, you know, important for awareness. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I appreciate it. So thank you. You're very welcome. And to our listeners, I hope you had a good Hispanic Heritage Month. And, uh, are having a good uh, pumpkin spice Halloween latte month. month. No, <laughs> oh, that's pumpkin spice latte month starts in like October. 15th, I had so, a couple in know. August this year. I mean, I've had. I've <laughs> had I mean, August fifteenth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've had I've had yeah. more than my fair share this year. So I've had none. Uh, They're delicious. I still haven't man. had any candy corn yet. I'm 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 being real. Well, that's gross. Uh, it is not. If candy corn was good for you, I would eat nothing else. Mm. Ugh. That's so good. Yeah, more for me. I mean, there's people who like Twizzlers. They're idiots. Like, Whoa. like candy corn. It's good. So, all right. We're getting into a fight now. Uh, <laughs> you don't like Twizzlers. Who likes Twizzlers? You don't like Twizzlers? I love Twizzlers. Come on. I love oh Twizzlers, God, What is too. wrong with Twizzlers you? Twizzlers are it awesome. Tastes, it, it's just like eating red plastic. It's gross. Yeah, it's delicious red plastic. If, if Twizzlers were good uh, for you, I would only eat Twizzlers. That's not true. But if, I would eat a lot of Twizzlers. If, if red plastic eat. tasted like Twizzlers, I'd be eating red plastic all mm-hmm. the time. I have found that like people, there's like candy corn people and Twizzlers people, and there's basically no overlap except for my wife. I've only so, ever uh, heard Twizzlers people and Red Vines people. I never, I never heard Twizzlers in another gang war with another candy. But I guess there is, I guess it's in the, this is the unspoken war between <laughs> these two. Well, as divisive candies go, I mean, you know what I mean. Like people have very strong opinions. I know I've been shamed candy. on too fast by Joe saying Red Vines are good and Twizzlers are gross, and I'm like, I've had mm. Red Vines once, and I will never have them again. I prefer red vines. If I have, if I have to eat, well, one you're of the West two, Coast at heart, so so it has some flavor to it. Yeah, it's the Mister Pib of Twizzlers. Uh... <laughs> I like a Mister Pib though. But what's really good is the uh, the candy corn pumpkins. I would eat Ugh. literally nothing but those things. You like, want even my... more waxy bullshit? Have a, have oh a candy God, corn. It's so pumpkin. good. It's so good. Uh, someone out there feels me here, and uh, is on is on my. Is on Maybe my... this should be the podcast. Just like candy debates. I'm sure it exists. Of course, There's, everything hey, exists. Hey, Community Debate Podcast. There's Let no new know. podcast, John. But and we also yeah. can't start a new candy podcast because there can only be one candy podcast. <laughs> That's you're right. <laughs> this is now the Brian Podcast, uh, which I don't think there's any other Brian what was only the, podcast. What was the? Um, there was a podcast you tagged where it's only podcasts about one woman's name. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah too many jennifers yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. wow yeah. that's oh because cool. it was a, yeah. a, a simple uh a, a, a touch of jen yes yeah was the book yeah, yeah. Did <laughs> on how to win the lottery i was like what's the name of the book what was the name of the podcast <laughs> what was the name of the person a touch of jen yes okay cool 
Uh, our pal Jen Tisdale writes or or, or uh, hosts that show with her friend Jennifer, and it's two Jennifers, and they talk about Jennifer stuff. And uh, somehow it works because they don't just talk about Jennifer stuff, and it's not only for Jennifers; it's for everybody. But uh, they they often theme their show around Jennifer related content. So. Nineteen Brian D nine trying to. Mm. <laughs> Brian Teen 99, Brian Teen 99, <laughs> the podcast where every guest is named Brian from now on. I will say, um, speaking of months and stuff, this is the third time this movie has been covered by this po- by this podcast network, uh, yep. including by the aforementioned Brian Rodriguez of High School Slumber Party on his show, High School Slumber Party, available wherever you get your podcasts. Starring Brian Rodriguez. But this is the what? first time that the episode is not coming out in November. We did this, uh, the Wistful Thinking Ladies <laughs> did this in November 2018, Brian did it in November 2020, and and now here we are doing an October 2022. So uh, I like Next the every two be years September, thing. and then we're going to have one in August, and then like yeah, we'll have to. <laughs> I don't know what other podcasts on the network could cover this, but I'm sure we could make something up. Sure. Well, the the Matthew Broderick podcast that we have Broad Pod, uh, yeah, it's a good one. The um, broadcast, yeah. Oh, Courtney wants to do a podcast about Reese Witherspoon, <laughs> which I should just call it calling Reese's Pieces. Ooh. Um, Back yeah, to candy. So Back to have... candy. I love it. Man, I wish. Back to candy. I what wish... do you guys feel about Reese's Pieces? <laughs> <laughs> I wish that my, I, I've mentioned him on here before because of the Kevin Smith connection, but I wish that my high school, my, my college freshman year roommate did not love the Kevin Smith and even the Kevin Smith so much because now still stuck in my head 16 years later is the Greasy Reese story or just him calling mm. her Greasy Reese. I'm like, I like her. I wish that wasn't in my head, but he hates her because of whatever reason. And that name is stuck in my head forever, and I hate it. I think I used to kind of hate her, too. I think I didn't like her when this movie came out, and that may be one of the reasons why I didn't see it uh, when it was out in theaters. But I like her now a lot. and and She's great. She is so good. And, yeah, she's she's really amazing. And, like, Legally Blonde is fantastic. And uh, Anyways, Brian, welcome to the show. We're going to talk about a movie now, as opposed to Candy and people named Brian and Hispanic Heritage Month. <laughs> And whatever the fuck else we've been talking about for the last like six minutes. You are the host of High School Slumber Party. You have covered this movie before because it is, as Joey and I were talking about in the intro, technically kind of a high school movie. Although, as an expert on high school movies, this is not what you would typically think of as your typical high school movie. Yes? I I won't say that. Um, In terms of like, yeah, it's not a teen movie necessarily. Not not a teen movie. Okay, fair enough. But it's, it's, I mean, it's set in a high school. It's a high school election, and we have very much expanded the scope of high school slumber party. Sure, sure. I don't think it's one of those when you're thinking about like, oh, nostalgia, teen years, one you look back on with those (laughs) eyes. But I actually saw this movie for the first time in high school. My high school teacher, oh, wow. yeah, my okay. high school teacher showed us this movie in class. No, no, hundred percent. And no. me and my friends always—it was films class, but me and my friends always look back and they're like, "What a creepy move!" <laughs> yeah, what a what a fucked up like. Holy shit! I don't want my high school students to know I've seen this movie. Like, never mind showing it to them. <laughs> That's fucking wild. All right, so we're how how old was the movie when you when you watched it in high school? Let's see. So that was probably that was probably two thousand and four or five. So 
Okay, so it was within a few years of it coming out. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, I just got this hot off the DVD presses. <laughs> but it's still super creepy. And I'm, I don't want to get into this yeah. teacher. It checks out. That's all I'm going to say. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. no, <laughs> that is, that is terrible. I, d- so did that experience, like, does that in any way, uh, sort of taint the way that you feel about this movie? Like, do, did you, did you, were you able to appreciate the movie in spite of sort of the weird context of seeing it the first time in, in that setting? Well, seeing it the first time, loved it. And also loved that teacher because he was the cool teacher, of course, you know? Mm-hmm. So hey, he's I the mean, one who fucked the students. <laughs> I, that is that is not true. Well, I don't know if that's not true, but he he never. I I can't put allegations out there. I'm not gonna. Never mind. No, never that's mind. Fine. No, don't. We don't want to get sued. That's <laughs> exactly, fine. exactly. But but um, oh, I still love this movie. I still think it's a great movie. It has a different context now. I think I love it for different reasons. Yeah. Um, I think I understand it for different reasons. Being an adult, being a married adult, you know, mm. like that's more mm-hmm, of the perspective mm-hmm. I'm watching it from. Or And even just being someone, again, I'm not a teacher, but I've been an adult around younger people, impressionable people, right? Like, so it's a different context now. I still think it's a well-made movie. I, I want to be clear. I really like the work of Alexander Payne. I know he's been like partially canceled, so I'm not going to say. Has he really? Yeah, um, Rose McGowan has made allegations. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So, so to be clear, like, I, I again, I don't know. It, I don't know. Look, I'm not going to weigh on them right now mm-hmm. on your show. So, but he's always been a filmmaker that, like, I used to go to the theater to watch every new Alexander Payne movie. So, I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited to talk election. Cool, Joey. Uh, so none of us, by the way, saw this in. Is that a first? It might be a first. Um, Wait, when was the? I yeah. know that we. I know you said you didn't see it in theaters, but when did you see this? Did you see it like later that year, or like before we get to me? Because I, I need to look no. at my list. But when did you see this yeah. the first time? Yeah. All right. So I'll 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 yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. go. I saw it sometime, either sometime between or around about Schmidt and Sideways. So I'm not sure exactly when, in what order that was. Um, I definitely saw both of those movies in the theater and really liked them both. I'd seen Citizen Ruth, as I talked about in the opening. Um, But this just didn't hit me, as I said, like didn't, I didn't know really consciously this was an Alexander Payne movie. Like I had to sort of remind myself of that. And sometime in between or after seeing both of those movies, I finally saw it and thought it was great. So that would have been, I guess, around the same time as Brian, probably like 2004 or five um, in that area. And it was also, as I said, like I didn't like Reese Witherspoon um, until around that time. I, I just kind of wrote her off as a sort of, you know, late 90s kind of a terror read esque person wow. i just did not give her the credit she deserved no like i was wrong i'm not gonna like say i was there's anything right about that but a lot of the ways that sort of her movies were sold and that her sort of stardom was sold was sort of in that vein right and and that was definitely underselling her and i was i started to kind of really turn around on her after seeing this movie um but yeah it was it was in the midst of that like alexander Payne time i also had like i might 
it might even have been like around the time I saw Little Children because I liked Tom Parada a lot and I'd read that book and seen that movie. So like somewhere in there, I don't know, but but certainly it was it was several years after it came out and I and I liked it a great deal. So can I tell you my favorite Zach Galifianakis joke based on the movie Sideways? Yes, you can. Is it about Pinot Noir? No, he, he said <laughs> okay. he, he used to go to a bar and he'd say, I'll have what they're having in Sideways. And they said, sir, that movie is... And I'm butchering this, but he's just like, and then I realized it was an outdated <laughs> reference, so I updated it to, can I have what they're having in Sideways too? <laughs> <laughs> it's much nice. better, but his live from the Purple Onion special is amazing, and I just totally ruined it, but I, I just love that joke so much. Anyway, I saw this. Well, my most my... of Zach Galifianakis' humor is based on his delivery of bad jokes. For like, sure. that's... Right. And like, you can't do that, Joe. No, so. I know. But I just like every time I hear like I, even, can, I've seen so. the movie sideways. And still, when I think when I when you said the movie <laughs> sideways, the thing I think of first is the Zach Galifianakis that joke. joke. Yes. Before he became, you know, the guy from The Hangover. He was amazing. I mean, he's still amazing, but he was you know, even better <laughs> back then. So I don't remember anything about the actual movie sideways either, aside from Pinot Noir and then Virginia Madsen and and Sandra Oh and and Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church, like being in it and drinking wine and Pinot Noir. Everything, that's like literally all I remember. About everything it. you said there is amazing, and that's why Sideways is one of my favorite films. Yeah, yeah, that's all great, right? Because you could just like have those four people and Pinot Noir and just like make them do anything, and like you you know you have a good movie on your hands. And I remember like interesting and heartbreaking things happen, but. Um, not what they are. I couldn't recite the plot of the movie to you, but um, same true of about Schmidt, actually. Or even like this movie, if you... Joey tried to do the plot rundown of this movie and was like, uh, and then, uh, and then, and then. And I think it's just sort of a... through being John Malkovich last episode, <laughs> so I don't know, man. <laughs> Which is very impressive. I think it's just sort of an Alexander Payne element, right? That it's like, it's just kind of hard to explain what his movies are, well, and even though they seem pretty straightforward. What's weird about this one is that it feels like it almost feels like none of the characters' stories are important, and they're all important. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was exactly. going to leave out other characters' <laughs> things altogether, and I'm like, they kind of matter. Like, even the Chris Klein stuff doesn't really matter. Like, it, it's kind of just Matthew Broderick. Like, even in a way, the Tracy Flick stuff doesn't really matter. It's just Matthew Broderick. Nobody matters. It's, it's it weird, all doesn't right? matter. It's all irrelevant, right? That's the whole point of the movie. Like, nobody fucking matters here. <laughs> it's just all a bunch of drama over a school fucking election that nobody gives a shit about. And the only one who knows it is Tammy. And, like, her, her story doesn't matter either. And, like, it's barely even there, but also, like, that's the point. <laughs> that, and, and that's really the point of a lot of his work, right? Like, yeah, it, for sure. It, for it's sure. about the mundane. It's about sort of just yeah. the monotony of life and how we as people put importance on the little things <laughs> in our lives, despite them probably not meaning anything, which is right. dark, but awesome. You know, that's why, again, I've always been drawn to his stuff. So uh, I didn't want to bury that teacher who showed me election because he really opened my eyes to a lot of film stuff. And he was, a great teacher for me. I just, yeah. again, like don't show it in high school. Yeah. Don't show this in high school. But like, I went to see sideways before I had a glass of wine. Like I saw this in the theater in high school. And I, cause I was so interested in film and his films um, because of, you know, after watching election too. So again, I don't, I don't want to bury this guy, but um, again, I don't know the cancellation status of Alexander Payne. I was just Googling it and he just got like a huge uh, movie deal for his next film. So like, you know, Hollywood hasn't canceled him, I guess. So I, I don't want to bury Alexander Payne either because I don't know yeah. everything, but I'm also not giving him an endorsement as a human being. 
but right. But film. No, I wouldn't do that <laughs> any anyway. Um, uh, yeah. Would you say then that by the time you finally had a glass of Merlot and a glass of Pinot Noir, you're like, oh, I get this movie now. Was that was that was that when you were like, and that that's exactly back on my, sideways. That's yeah. exactly yeah. my point, right? Like, so <laughs> I, I viewed these films in high school in one way. I came back to them and was like, oh, shit, I love wine now. I love going to wine country. Com- and then you understood it in a side way. Ah, yeah. there we go. And Different different way. Election the, election the same way. Like, you could view yeah. this film on, like, a very superficial level. But then when you, again, you think about, like, the, pe- the characters putting the importance, uh, just, like, framing their lives in a certain way, specifically Matthew Broderick's character. And then the meta-ness of, like, this is Ferris Bueller, right? This is the coolest kid I know, in high school I know, films. I know. And, and that's hard. To, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and now he's yeah. just like the oof, like mundane loser as teacher in this school. And oh man, well, you know, what as a, a sequel to Ferris Bueller, it works really well. It's incredibly bleak. Like <laughs> it, it, both of those things at the same time. hundred percent. Well, it's not as bleak as if you subscribe to the notion that Ferris Bueller only happened in Cameron's head. Is this another theory or no? Too, I I have heard that theory. Yes, yeah. Um, Also bleak. I don't. You've been wanting to talk about your experience with election for a long time, Joey. So uh, go ahead. It's not much of a story. I saw it my freshman year of college. (laughs) I did see it surrounded by. Now this is four movies in a row that I watched for the first time, probably in the same week that I've done podcasts about. Like in my goal to podcast, apparently about every movie I watched. Four Brothers, which we did on Too Fast. I think it's a bonus episode, maybe. Then Election. Then Reindeer Games, which we did on Charlie's, And then Inside Man, which we just did on Too Fast. So I don't know. Who <laughs> who could have guessed that 16 years later, I would have covered four movies in a row. The one before that is Brick, which I feel like is one of Joe's favorite movies that we could wind up doing for Too Fast. Anyway, I could just keep expanding this outward. <laughs> but yeah, I saw that back then. I think I saw it one other time since then. Maybe I don't remember why or when, and then I watched it again yesterday. So another movie that I really loved in high school, and then as I got older, I had a new appreciation for because I lived more of life was High Fidelity, and oh yeah, I love. We talked about that last week. Yeah, and yeah. High Fidelity, he famously is reorganizing his record collection autobiographically, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need to reorganize your DVDs autobiographically. That'd be very cool. Then I can maybe find the two movies that you swapped discs with and left the cases in the right order or whatever, right? You did that to something, but you don't even remember which ones you swapped. That was years ago. I don't remember. So sorry about that. But, but. That was multiple barbecues and multiple pranks ago. So I, I have retired from pranks. <laughs> So, Joey, I mentioned in the intro that Uh this movie, this time around, made me realize that it has a lot in common with a movie from 99 that we hated, which is American Beauty. And I, in watching, let me guys, you guys tell me what you think about this assessment. But I, in watching it this time around, when American Beauty is trying to be funny, this is the movie it's trying to be and failing at. This movie, as it turns out, is such a better send up of like suburban malaise and ennui and the shallowness of like suburban Americana and the American dream than American beauty ever is. And, and 
it's it's genuinely funny and genuinely insightful in the way that movie never is like when when that movie is like you know vacillating between being a very serious drama and a very funny comedy like it's never never not never never either of those things but but this movie is like this is what it thinks it is right for for most of the time well the, the distinct difference between those two is that that movie basically loves all of its characters and wants to be like aren't isn't everything all of these characters is doing the coolest thing in the world to a certain extent in this movie? They're just like, they're like every character is dumb. They're yeah. all awful. You should hate all of these people. They all suck. Yeah. They're all terrible and nothing should well, be I don't totally. You mean, so you mean that American beauty loves its characters? Yeah. Like I think American beauty is like, isn't it really fucking awesome? How cool of a life this guy has. Yeah. Like he quit yeah. his job, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. He's just smoking weed and getting ripped in his garage. He's fucking the young hot girl. And this is just like, look at the putts that Ferris <laughs> Bueller became. Brian, Brian, tell me, tell me what you think about this because I actually have a different take. I one of the things I like about Alexander Payne and actually Tom Parada, like one of the things that they kind of I feel have a kind of kinship over that sort of that collaboration works is especially with Alexander Payne, yes, Joey is right that like all of these people are just absolutely awful and losers, but he also presents a like weird, endearing sympathy for these characters that I think gives them humanity where you're sort of still, you kind of still like them all, even though they're all objectively fucking awful people. Um, That's what I think makes his movies work even in the case of like sideways. What do you think? Oh yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. Like I, I feel bad for even, you know, uh, Matthew Broderick's character, despite his own <laughs> self-sabotage. I even feel bad for, for Mr. Novotny, even though he's a scumbag, you know, it, like right. there is a sympathy that he attaches to his characters. That is awesome. That again, Amer- I was not obviously on your American beauty episode, but I concur with your opinions. Um, that movie just is like one of those films where it's just like fart into the wine glass to use the sideways thing here, sniff it. This is what I, you know, <laughs> this is the beauty I've created. Like, it's like F you guys, you know, there's Look such a, pre- the bag. <laughs> there's such a pretension to that film. And this film doesn't feel uh, to me, at least pretentious at all. Now there have been some, no, it's, it's aggressively unpretentious. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now there have been some like 20, 20 whatever what is this the twenty twenties decade the twenties I feel I still feel weird saying the twenties the roaring twenties <laughs> or the doing something twenties that's not roaring no but. the horror twenties if you listen to Brian's often asked Kate Hudson right <laughs> yes, the horror twenties like like um, but more like the snoring twenties <laughs> yeah it's not it's not boring say say what you want but it is not boring um but, no go ahead but Sorry. unfortunately there have been some people on certain political spectrums who have taken the tracy flick archetype and put it on am- ambitious women yes yes like a hillary clinton but also like like yes. s- some other ones and have just like like label C Tracy Flick overachiever F you. And it's like, I, yeah. I wish they didn't do that with this film. So again, I don't want to say like this film treats all its characters equally. Cause I don't think it necessarily does. I think most viewers have the least sympathy for Tracy Flick. I, I think that's fair to say. That's interesting. I, look, one of the things like, again, 
for the historical context, you're dealing with the the twilight of the Clinton years. And there is certainly an element of this where like she is both Hillary Clinton and Monica Lewinsky at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't mean that in terms of who those people actually are, because I think they're both great, especially Monica Lewinsky, who's awesome. You should follow her on Twitter. Um, But the the way that sort of the media was was um characterizing both of those people um and and did you mention sorry sorry did you mention when was the book written what year oh so no i don't think i did but it was written like in 90 it published in 98 and and, oh, and okay okay Payne got a like advanced copy of it because i think parada wanted him to direct the movie version of it so it was very gotcha, much a collaborative okay. effort and it's very you know they're very much sort of like companion pieces i guess right but yeah you're right so like the source material itself is also still part of that kind of era zeitgeist right the lewinsky scandal because yeah, if you're comparing it to like monica lewinsky it's like this yeah. had to be written like basically in yeah. the last like 30 days before the movie you know it's like it had to be like in that window like really close to whatever yeah and it is a satire i think of the perception of that sort of a character right because i think while you might not have a lot of sympathy for for tracy you, you also the way and the the sheer venom and the sheer sort of like weird um, uh, misogyny with which um, Matthew Broderick's character, what's his name? I can't even remember the character's name. I should use the character's name. Uh, Oof. Mr. <laughs> McAllister. Yes, Mr. Mr. McAllister. McAllister yes. um, the, the, way, the way that he has this sort of knee-jerk hatred of her ambition and her sort of perfection i think makes you sympathetic to her like i hate her but also she's the like hero of the movie to me and the one that i like like the most at the same time it's a very weird audience sensation as far as that goes but that's kind of my my take on it um well, I think what I think an, an interesting thing this movie does is it constantly sort of pivots who you're rooting for. Yeah. And I think by not necessarily like giving characters things to root for, but giving the person that you've been rooting for something to kind of root against. And I think another thing that makes this movie really interesting is the voiceover narration from like multiple characters. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I think, probably rare. And I think generally speaking, or maybe just a modern thing that like voiceover is a no, no. But I feel like by spreading the love around there. And also letting characters kind of go like really nuts, like Tracy, like freaking out when she sees Paul at his car and she's on the bus. Like, I think it's doing things in ways that like kind of bucks conventions and just it, it tells a story of like four or five or six different people and also never really tells any of their stories. Like it's, it's, it's this weird, like almost a movie that shouldn't work, but somehow does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I also think like, you have to <laughs> it, it doesn't take a lot of nuance to listen to what Mr. McAllister is saying and be like, this guy is a fool. Like, how is he blaming? I don't care what the situation is. How is he blaming Tracy for his, his friend's issue when like uh, Mr. Novotny? Because when we see everything from Mr. Novotny, he's pathetic, right? But Tracy sort of has agency because she's the one who ends the relationship when he gets to. Like I don't think I, I th- let's be careful about using the word agency when like a forty-year-old yeah. dude is sleeping with a sixteen-year-old girl or whatever. Like I know that's not what you're saying, but like also, it's like I don't know that she has any agency or power. No, okay, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean like I was like this is one of the first watches where I realized like she's the one that ended things, you know? And sure, and right, like, like right. right, 
is she? The- she's not. She's not shown as the one who is like, you know, like just being it, like, you know, in love with him no matter what and blind eyed to it. She's like, fuck that guy, and then moves on, right? Like, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like I don't like it's the wording is hard for me to say because I don't want to say no, that she has power. Like, she but you know. Sorry. The the trope that you're talking about the trope yes. that like in in general she would be heartbroken that he left her for his wife or whatever right and like that's not how this plays out and that's very different from what you're expecting in that sort of a uh, depiction. Yes, exactly. Sorry, so go ahead, finish finish. No, your I mean, that, I mean, that 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 was my thought. It was like awesome again, not awesome. I didn't enjoy it, but but right, it, it right. was cool to see a bucking of that trope and the fact that right. like the as a character Tracy's ambition was more important than her theoretical what this monster essentially was yeah. doing to her which right. uh, which yeah i mean i don't know again i like to see it in the context of the film and it's hard to overlook that as being like a, a commentary on on bill clinton and monica Lewinsky, right like it, i mean that's it's pretty clear that sort of that's part of what's um being addressed there and like in a way that is obviously coming down against the powerful man right and and sort of you know regardless of how you think of tracy as a character or what you think of her as a villain or a hero there is that sense that like she is fully realized and and that her ambition sort of makes sense within the context of the world that's been created for her by a bunch of like fucking worthless white men right like that's kind of interesting that, that there's no sort of just like stark villain here aside maybe from Mr. Novotny, who, um, as I was saying to Joey, is like the moment where I was like, whoa, what is this movie? Right? Where where there's that one scene, that one like abrupt cutaway scene, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, where we um, cut to him and he says something to the fact of she gets so wet, and you're like, wait, yeah. what is this movie? Yeah. I do think a very interesting thing this movie does is it makes that not an afterthought. That's not what this movie's about. The movie's not about a teacher having an affair with a student. It's not even about that teacher. Like that teacher is only secondary. Like the the bigger role that teacher plays in a way is that he's found out his wife leaves him and then has an affair with our main character or one (laughs) of our main characters, right? Like the action, like the most shocking thing in this movie is not at all what this movie's about. It just is like an off-screen inciting incident, which is like a fascinating kind of wild way to think about it. Or just like to to even write about, like to to bring that to have such a monumental to a certain extent, just to you know, a handful of characters, thing happen. Be like, yeah, but that's not what this movie is about. We aren't even going to see that. We're just going to hear the guy tell tell you about it. Yeah, and uh, just also on your point, Joey, with the uh, voiceover, um, you kind of reminded me of this. Like, it's I, to me, it's also effective because what we're seeing is not what we're hearing, and I think that's like super cool because it's like th- these characters' points of view, but what's on screen is clearly very different. Like the Roman, if I, I, I've obviously never read the book, but I'm wondering how that comes across in the book, right? Like, do we know that they're unreliable narrators or, or not? Because when we're watching the movie, we see like the ro- the romance sort of, I don't know if you want to call it romance, but uh, what, what um, Mr. McAllister is depicting in terms of the affair with uh, right. the neighbor, right? Like it's obvious to us what's going on as a viewing audience, but the way he's describing it is so like different, you know, it's like, it's like, Oh yeah. It's, it's fundamentally different from what you're seeing. And it's also like fundamentally different for you, what you know, he's experiencing. Like, <laughs> if, like if you weren't seeing what was happening to him on film and you were just listening to his narration or reading his narration, it'd be a very different, it would hit so differently. Right. And like, that's part of the kind of greatness of the comedy is that he's like, 
you know, after all, it sort of seemed like it was the best thing for everybody. <laughs> and like, you know, me and Debbie were finally getting to really know each other and everything was great. And then you're seeing like what's happening on screen, like they're barely talking to each other. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love that because this movie in so many ways is about, again, like superficiality and sort of the emptiness that is behind so many things that we take very seriously. And the idea that you're sort of, you're allowing the characters to like obviously lie to the audience as, as one of the framing mechanisms is like really interesting and, and clever and cringeworthy. And uh, one of the things that I just always find both incredibly enjoyable and like rewatching this movie, but also just like painful <laughs> to, to have to endure <laughs> um, at the same time. But I think that's sort of the, again, the Alexander Payne kind of, kind of aesthetic and also just real quick i haven't read the book either but one of the things that i like about this movie i enjoy is that i have read enough tom parada to know sort of like generally what the book's like just based on knowing his work and seeing this movie that i can sort of like almost reverse engineer what the book is um and i am pretty sure i'm probably right but i'd be curious to read it to see if uh see if that is the case yeah and the I sequel sure wish we had a book podcast where we could go into books like this but alas <laughs> one day one, one of these days Joey, you'll start a podcast about books and then we can talk about the book that's the, the I, I have no say over the books we talk about there which is good because i i find things that i've never read before but well maybe one I, day I we'll not... win the lottery and have a say in what the book is <laughs> I just hope I don't win the lottery in the lot in the way that we mean the lottery. But yes, <laughs> no, no, I, no. I feel like you have Sorry, Joey, but by uh, co-founding this podcast network, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it started and where it's going. But please keep going, John. <laughs> no, I'm done with that thought. Anybody else? Go ahead. <laughs> Somebody else talk. Well, I had um in terms of uh, what's his name, Chris Klein's character, Paul. Yes, he, yes, he's not yeah. so much lying to himself as like he, you know he's just like I love this character. I've always loved this character because he just <laughs> I do too. he's just so naive. But we all know so, like or we think we know someone like this. And yeah. oh man, and just like his narrations, it's just like because he's a really nice guy, and and he's not lucky because he's injured. Right, he he can't do the thing he loves most. He questions the meaning of his life as a teenager like to God of what exactly he was meant to do. But, you know, his sister is a terror kind of, you know, it's like from his perspective, but he still loves her. Um, this just his narration to me always makes me laugh because he's just such a dummy, but like, a it's sweet, also a matter of fact. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's so matter yeah. of fact. He's sweet, innocent. Dumb. There's a line that always gets me. He's like, Oh, we used to go uh, over some, long, something along the lines of we used to go over to her house after school and fuck and then have a hot tub. And it's just like, what? Yeah, it, it's it's the a hot tub, these <laughs> yeah. a singular hot yeah. tubs. I I love. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not saying it like to be crass or like it, it's just like again, yeah. so matter of fact, but in like a innocent way. Like, I, you know, I'm so blessed. That party was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, even though I wasn't president, I got to have a great Mexican party, and I was prom king, too. I love it. <laughs> I had a great year, and then What's-Her-Name broke up with me, and then, yeah, but, like, and then how's he, how, what's his last line? It's like, what if I died, or whatever it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think, like, I rewatching this again it made me think you really have to watch this and american pie sort of like in sequence to really understand like what a talent chris klein is and how goddamn funny and just like perfect at this particular kind of role he is where he's like 
out, just insanely love it, like ridiculously over the top, right? Like earnest uh, in this way that is just hysterical that nobody else can really pull off. And um, I don't know. I always wish we had more of Chris Klein, but hopefully he's, you know, he's in the midst of a kind of a comeback right now. But um, I, I was thinking about because we just did American Pie like in the last month. And I, I it hurts me to say, like, I think he's funnier in that. Yeah. But, like, yeah. It's, this is obviously a better movie and a, a more nuanced role. But like, man, he's so funny. Like, it almost like spoiled this <laughs> a little bit. Like, he's he's the same character, but different. Right. right. In, a, right. in a very he's specific way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like Oz isn't that dumb. He's just sort of simple, right? He's just sort of, whereas this 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 guy is like simple and dumb. But they both have like this weird heart of gold, but just like no real understanding of the world outside of themselves. And and it's yeah, it's a great it's a great role to be able to, like. Courtney always says that playing stupid is like the hardest thing to do, right? Like if you are really good at playing a dummy that's a really difficult thing to do as an actor. And, and, you know, like the, the example that she would use recently is Ben Kingsley in um, Shang-Chi, right? Where it's like being, you have to be very good to convincingly play an idiot. (laughs) Like you just do. (laughs) Um, Or you just come across as an idiot. Right. (laughs) But, but that's, that's sort of why Chris Klein is, is so good. And oh my God, he's guy's so funny in this movie too. And I love the character too. Like this is also sort of anti trope in a sense of we, we want the popular kid who's given everything to be an asshole, especially someone like Tracy, right? Like that. And he votes for her. And that's why she wins. (laughs) And yeah, he's just like a a sweet guy. Like that's not the truth Tracy wants. That's not the truth I think most viewers theoretically want, but you can't help but fall in love with him. And he is exactly the kind of person who would probably succeed in politics. I guess he'd have to have a little bit of a nasty streak, but if people were controlling him, right? Like I'm talking more on like a local level. It's really hard to be like that and be like, you know, the president or something, or I don't know. Yeah. But like, he he really is the perfect candidate for this school because he's popular and he's nice and he's dedicated. Because remember, when he wins, he's got a lot of ideas. He's not just doing it to be popular. He's like, I mean, they're like silly ideas. Like, I know the theme to prom was this last year, but... Yeah, but he's giving his ideas. Oh my god! Yeah, we could do like a really good haunted house, not like one of those lame ones. It'd be really good. <laughs> yeah, and I think on a similar note, like in in the way that um, it's sort of giving us this character who, like, typically we're supposed to hate, but we can't hate him. But then he says weird things, and you're like, wait, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? It, a similar sort of thing with with Tammy, where she's like our Greek chorus where she's the one who's like, this is all fucking bullshit, right? Like I don't want to be president and all this is lame and none of you going to remember any of this shit. No, no one's going to be able to do the stuff they're promising to do in these speeches. So fuck all this and vote for me if you want to. And they're like, yeah, we're like, yeah. But then she's this, also this person with like really bad relationship boundaries who like fetishizes the next person that she meets. And is like, weirdly kind of stalkery and you're like okay maybe not so much but like every single one of these characters gets taken down as soon as we start being like oh they're cool and then you're like oh they're not because tracy is shown it, it, it early in the film is like set up as the hero that you're like supposed to follow and think is great and watch her sort of show all of the you know like jocks and so forth that the overachieving girl can really make it in the world but like no 
everything sucks and everyone sucks and like <laughs> but she still does though like that's that's the well, thing like, true. in the end she still wins it's weird because like you're a, like the viewer is also a character in this movie in a weird way that like i i sometimes find again kind of uncomfortable and um and hard to hard to watch but the journey that you're going on with these characters as they go up and down and you're like i like this person wait no i don't it's sort of <laughs> spectrum right is is also kind of your it's almost like a choose your own adventure uh story in some weird way and and uh yeah just to piggyback on that tammy thing like that's that 90s angst right that's that like oh <laughs> i mean it, it comes a couple of years later or not a year what is this 99 I, I literally asked myself what year did this movie come out Apologies. This is my podcast and I can't <laughs> yes. get it right either, so don't worry about it. Yeah, Joey does that all the time. What year is this? Like, oh, right. I would say more than 50% of the shows. Now I don't even think about the years. Like I just I have moved past years because I get it wrong. I just don't even worry about when things come out. But you have a uh, Bush first gore coming up, and that was one of these elections where people were like, I remember, you know, even as a kid, like, oh, they're so similar, they're the same. Like, what why do I even vote? What's the whole point of voting? You know, F the system. And that, you know, that you're was a, me. <laughs> that was a really prevalent. Yeah, no, you're right thought at the time and tammy like represents that on one hand but they're also showing that tammy's lack of caring even tammy's entering the election tammy's uh falsely admitting to taking the papers down is also something that ends up handing tracy flick the election right so there's a lot of deeper political meaning to what was going on in the 90s at the time even things that would happen going forward as well but things that happened you know in the election of 96 mm -hmm. too so mm -hmm. i thought that was really fascinating yeah and and like again i never really thought of this as a particularly 1999-ish movie in, in in the way that you know a lot of those movies are sort of groundbreaking and uh breaking the mold and or, or have this sort of like existential angst underneath them but it definitely is like it definitely is a movie that is post bill clinton post lewinsky scandal uh pre y2k and it has this like everything's fucking stupid and fuck it all sort of attitude that i just i, I never really had picked up until i watched it um sort of in the context of us doing this podcast so i guess i'm an idiot I, lo I love how you punctuated that. I guess I'm an idiot. <laughs> and and neither of us said anything. We're like, yep, I guess no. you are. Yep. yep. <laughs> Let's talk about the ending. Uh, the the novel ends differently. Um, Mr. McAllister does not move to New York City. That is uh, one of the changes they made from the novel. Uh, the novel ends with him staying in town. I think he's like working. This takes at... place in Omaha. We have not said that, but this is a very firmly like not necessarily specifically explicitly Omaha, as far as I know, but definitely like not coastal big city. Like this is a Midwest drab, brutal winter. Yeah, sort of like very well placed, I think, narratively. Um, so he and Tracy have kind of like a mea culpa moment where they meet and he like signs her yearbook and like that's the end of it. So there's this sort of like very unsatisfying kind of denouement, which also has its own sort of quality, I think, as, a, as an ending. Um, the movie ending is obviously very different. It talks about it, it sort of then it goes to skewer. It skewers the sort of like New York dream after skewering the <laughs> middle of America dream. Um, in just a few minutes, it manages to be a satire of like people who think they're making it in New York or whatever. And as someone who worked as a museum educator, it hit real close to home. Um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what, what, what did you guys think of the ending? I think I, I think I liked it. 
I like the him throwing. I, I think another thing that's interesting is the whole Coke versus Pepsi thing. That's kind of throughout. Like it feels like product placement. <laughs> then maybe it's not product placement, but maybe it yeah. still is. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Which I think is interesting, but I like him throwing the Pepsi at her, probably Congresswoman limo or whatever. Um, I think it, I think the ending works, but Brian, in the intro part, we were talking about how the the book that just came out this year, Tracy Flick Can't Win, has her as a high school principal in New Jersey. And so it's a very different career path that that character takes. And I feel like this makes more sense, but I think the, the novel sequel plot feels more interesting. Mm-hmm. Like I'd love to see her sort of like, and no, you know, no shade to teachers or principals or anything like that. L- you know, should we have one on the on the show or any <laughs> listeners? Um, but I feel like her sort of like toiling with like she has these grand ambitions and like the the biggest thing she can run as a high school as opposed to the country like feels, I think, more interesting and more like that. There's more to do there. Like I think the movie ends in a way where it's like that's her story, yeah. and the book is just like no, there's more to tell. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wasn't aware that that book came out. That kind of changes my perspective on things a bit. But I, I think it's important to, like, in the context of Mr. McAllister, just seeing her and in the way he's saying it, like, oh, in that limo, like, the only indication the movie gives us is that she's working for some congressperson at this point. Who's a Republican, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is, yeah. <laughs> they make a, I make a point of that to like show our Nebraska or yeah. whatever yeah. at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for him, it's like uh, his rationalization in that New York story, it's like that, you know, he succeeded and like he's found, he, like, he admits the apartments a lot. A lot it's of like London. Michael Scott in New York. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. Very yeah, similar yeah. Kind of vibe. Yeah. So like in his narrative, I'm sure he was like, well, Hopefully Tracy Flick failed. I'm sure if I didn't stop her, someone else did. And then he realizes that, no, she's, has, she's on this trajectory. I did not stop her. And it's just like, it's it's almost the angst of Tammy. I thought it was a very, like, 90s ending. Like, well, we're all fucked, right? Like, fuck the system. Yeah. Let me just, you know, if this is what I could do to stop it briefly by throwing the uh, milkshake at the car great and then you know when he, he's confronted by it and he has to run away he's almost shocked that he has to run away mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it's funny uh I, again i like it but when i think about this movie and i've seen it so many times i don't know if i remember the ending as distinctly as i do some of the other parts so it kind of just exists to me but it does feel natural yeah, I mean, in addition to, like, again, I, I think the the unfairness to, like, you know, skewering both the middle America and also the East Coast sort of elite, right, um, it, it, it works really well. But the, the other thing I like about it, and I don't think it really occurred to me until I saw it this time again, was, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, like, one of the things that I like about Alexander Payne in general is that he does, like, show often these deplorable characters who are kind of losers, but also that he has this sort of a love for despite all that. And I really do feel like it's the first time that like Matthew Broderick's voiceover and his authenticity actually sort of match up and that he genuinely is happier. Even if we're looking at this being like, dude, you're paying 1550 for a, you know, studio apartment, like in a basement, 
which like was an exaggeration then, but is right? Yeah, like definitely not an exaggeration anymore. No. Um, even if it was just sort of an over the top funny joke then, but not by much. <laughs> but I, I I do like that it's sort of again he he it's it, he, it's as close as he can get to kind of redeeming these characters where he I, I think he is happier. Like I think that's what he always wanted, right? And like he got out and he sort of like did his own thing and he's never going to really amount to very much. But like he likes being a museum educator and like hanging out with his like cool new New York girlfriend or whatever. And, uh, you know, all Tracy wants is to like work Congress and like work for this Republican and, uh, drive around a limos and everything else. And, you know, sort of the only thing you can do to stop her is like throw a thing of Pepsi at her. And like, that's, that's pretty much it. And, um, (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a great ending. I mean, I think it's more like Alexander Payne's ending than Tom Parada's ending. And I think the way that Tom Parada ends the novel, like from what I, again, what I know of Tom Parada, like that makes sense to me uh, based on the way he sort of like writes, you know, his characters. Um, but, but yeah, I, 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 I think it's a great ending. I think it's a, uh, uh, given the way that the whole thing's sort of, you know, um, presented here, I, I think it, it works really well. I think it's also interesting that we don't really get a sense of his girlfriend like who he's dating like she might suck she might be terrible because it yeah. feels like he's like maybe maybe a change of scenery is like well, all he needs to blossom but also like there's nothing in this indication that you know shows that he's like a good dude like it just you know i wonder <laughs> you know you could be happy for him but also like you know he might just be like you know i found this woman and she's like the only one who will tolerate me or whatever and like it's you know we have yeah, salads I, in the park. I guess, like, I, so I'll ask you guys that. Like, do you, and I, I keep sort of wrestling with this question myself. Do you think all these people are just, like, bad people? Or just, like, the products of, like, a bad, sort of boring, middle American lifestyle? No, I think, where, just, like, you know, I think they're just human. I think they're just, yeah. like, they're real. Like, they're not good or bad. They're just, like, this is how people behave. And they're sort of shoved into this, like, meaningless soulless yeah. world right where where the worst of them comes out yeah i think I, I kind of that's kind of how i feel too it's a guy with a job he doesn't like and a wife who like you know he's up and down with a, a, a girl who hates her classmates <laughs> yeah and thinks she's better than the town she grew up in yeah. right like that's yeah. a very normal thing I, yeah i think mr novotny and aside i think most people are like the characters in this film rather than like, yeah. the characters in most other films, right? Like, no one's a real hero here. These are just regular people who have given into their vices. But it's like, these are not, again, I'm Mr. Novotny aside, these are not vices, so to speak, or I should say, I don't know, desires that are uncommon. Lots of people, you know, unfortunately cheat on their significant others. Lots of people get divorced. Lots of people get bored with their lives. Lots of people don't like their jobs. So yeah, it's, it's relatable in that sense. It's not the relatable that we'd like to admit all the time, but it really is probably relatable to most people uh, watching this film. Lots of people try to have a baby to save a marriage. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Brian, it's funny. I was thinking about how, um, this movie has like the opposite thesis of garden state, which I, I recorded two very long episodes of high school slumber party um, uh, with you on. And that like that movie is a lot more loving about sort of like small town meaninglessness, right. Where, you know, and like finding meaning in there and like people finding meaning in their lives. And this one's like, no, fuck it. It's all terrible. And everybody, you know, it's like, this just sucks the life out of people, but then also so does New York city. So like, fuck it, everything's <laughs> bad. 
Um, the rationalization <laughs> in Garden State is similar to the rationalization here, just like you're saying, yeah. presented in in such a different way. It's like yeah. Garden State's more like, you know, you might be right, but fuck it. I want to give it a chance. Let's do this. And this one's more like, well, fuck it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. that's life. And, but by the way, speaking of Garden State, because I, I did want to bring this up, the book does not take place in Omaha. The book takes place in New Jersey as well. Alexander, oh, right, right. Alexander right, Payne yeah. loves to move his stuff to Omaha when he can. <laughs> Obviously, he could not do that in Sideways or, uh, you know, The Descendants, things like that. But um, yeah. he's from Omaha. So, yeah, a little change there. Lastly, Matthew Broderick, uh, real quick, and the Ferris Bueller connection. So, like, I think, so Joey and I were talking about in the intro, uh, Brian, how this movie was a um, a marketing nightmare, and nobody could figure out what the fuck it was or how to market it to people, and it was an MTV production, and it didn't make any goddamn sense, and, like, all that sort of thing. And And I think, like, when you brought up the Ferris Bueller thing, I was like, yeah, I think that was probably also part of the point that like it was supposed to be like, hey, remember that guy from Ferris Bueller? Well, now he's the teacher and he's also lame. And like, isn't that funny how this is an inversion of that? But like, did that stick out? Like, did, did you I don't know if you guys get that? Like when you watched it the first time that this is, you know, Matthew Broderick's most iconic character, like in reverse or 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 not. I don't know if I had seen Ferris Bueller when I saw this movie for the first time. So, no. But like you knew of it, right? Like you knew. I knew of it, but like, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I did, to be honest. Interesting. Like I have such a weird history where like I saw nothing and then I saw everything. And so like, <laughs> I don't really have this like gradual accumulation of knowledge and references that normal people have. Yeah. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I definitely the first time didn't connect that for whatever reason, but yeah. since starting my show, it became so obvious. I don't know, again, if they were promoting it that way at all they may they probably should have like oh look at the subversive ferris bueller maybe that would have helped but uh, it would have worked yeah i think it would have helped like i really do think that would have given people something to be like oh i get it like i get what this movie's doing but yeah yeah but no like I, I, honestly the first couple times i watched it i wasn't even making that connection for whatever reason but now again so obvious and this is as again you have already covered and you will cover like such a big year for teen films and high school films that yeah. this is definitely something that does not get looped in with that it's sort of lofts in the shuffle when it comes to those movies and i get it this is nothing you know this isn't close to she's all that in any kind of way but mm -hmm. um academically for what i have tortured myself in doing the last couple of years more than a couple of years 300 plus episodes it is a an amazing movie to watch it's a great example of like a teacher slash student perspective in school and like how these films can be a little bit different and a little bit subversive and even though even if they go under the radar that some age better than others right some we like because of nostalgia and some we like just because they're good movies. And for me, Election is still a good movie and even better. Like like a fine wine, back to sideways. It's aged pretty well for me. 
Yeah, it's a very good movie. You should all watch it. Um, it has. It's a also streaming moments. on like four different platforms. It's very easy to find. It's leaving Prime soon, so um, watch it on Prime if that's how you want to watch it. I think it's leaving in like a week. Um, well, it might be sure. gone by the time this comes out. Then that's possible. But yeah, it's available in a bunch of different places, and uh, it's great. And um, if you have kids, don't let them be anywhere near it uh, <laughs> because it's not. It is not a cute high school PG-13 sort of a movie at all. Yeah, what's funny is earlier this season we did 10 Things I Hate About You, which I'm still waiting to be covered on my favorite high school-centric podcast. It still hasn't come out yet, though. Mm, but wait for it. we were talking to our guest on that episode about w- whether she would let her kids watch that movie, which is a much more, um, in a way, not the right word, but family-friendly movie. And she's like, no, not for a long time. And yeah. this is like that to the nth degree. It's like, yeah. oh, no, absolutely no. not. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't even know if future generations are really going to understand this movie, to be completely honest. But I, I um, think there's something time. I don't think you need to know any Clinton or Lewinsky stuff to appreciate this movie. I think this is a timeless movie. I think this will be, you know, it might not be as resonant to people who didn't grow up in that era, but I think this will yeah. this will play forever. I hope so. I think one of the biggest reasons for that, Joey, is that, again, it does not, unlike American Beauty, it does not glorify any of the really, really creepy stuff here, right? Like, uh, right. Tracy Flick isn't even depicted as, like, a you know, young, sexy teen. And I only say that because we get so many movies that do do that. Um, yeah. It, it, people feel real. And I think you're right, Joey, that it's timeless because that is still going to resonate forever, I think. Yeah, and Joey, in addition to like us being a Brian podcast now, we've of of round two, like three of them have been high school movies. Uh, three of three of the four. Uh, we're going to be moving on from high school movies uh, next 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 time around, and pretty much for a while. But uh, yeah, no wild. more high school this this season. So there's no round. more no oh. more Chris Klein, no more high school, oh. um, no more Mina Suvari. We've we've we're out of Mina Suvari movies. <laughs> uh, we're going in a whole new territory starting in the next episode but um anyway yeah this is a great movie go watch it uh no kids around um and you have our our endorsement all around i think uh, i think all three of us really love this movie yeah yeah yep yeah awesome. it, the, the the messed up thing is that like it's eighth of 13 on our list but i still like really 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 like it a lot it's just that yeah. we've covered like seven movies i like even more but you know yeah that's it, why like, it's- that's why this podcast exists for whatever year these movies <laughs> came out in it is like, and I it's, don't want to make this comparison, but like America or like um, Eyes Wide Shut, it is a movie that I really sometimes struggle to get through because it's incredibly painful. But but it is also great, and it's 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 very funny, and it's I think the the way that everybody is all in on this movie is what makes it work because nobody nobody doesn't understand what movie they're in, and I think that's really helpful in a movie like this when they all sort of understand the assignment. Um, and it really, really shows in the final product. So, all right, with that, Brian, we are going to um, move on to our final. Maybe we should ask this, Joey, in the like in the if you had to rent one movie from 1999. I don't know. We should we could, could use Brian. Well, Brian's so so last episode, Brian, I had to reference foodie films because you know how like the first time 
when whenever he would have a guest for the first time, Kyle would say, who's your dream dinner guest? And then, or no, maybe that was the second question, but he had like a question that he had like a follow-up question. But last episode, we had our first repeat guest. And I'm like, oh, we don't have a backup question. So I had to like scramble for one. And I referenced Kyle having like, you know, mostly first time guests, but then, you know, like Yumi and Mike, I think all run in the second time. And he had that second, the backup question. So I was shouting out my favorite food centric podcast last episode. But if you were to go to the magical blockbuster in the sky and we say, Brian, there's a sign, rent any one movie from 1999 for free. <laughs> it's your, it's your blockbuster, but weird. It's like this, they don't know what they're doing here. It's like, we're going to give you a movie for free. It's like, it's the drug dealer effect. Hmm. We're saying, Brian, we're going to hold our place online, go to the back, grab any movie from 1999 you want. What movie are we watching? What is your favorite movie from 1999? What is my favorite movie from 1999? Ugh. Do I have to go on brand and pick a high school movie? No. No, I think you, you're. You I think your brand by this point is that you hate high school. Movies. I do not. Like, hate I think it's partly your high brand. school I know, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> There are so many good ones in this year, but like, did Coppola put out a movie in '99 or no? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Sophia did. Ray Coppola did. Ver- that's version true. Suicides. And another one. Another one was in Rushmore. If you count its wide release. Uh, no, he had the Rainmaker in '97, and he went ten years before Youth Without Youth came out. So his his nephew Nicholas Coppola was in a couple of movies that year. Well, yeah, Nicholas Cage, since he started acting in '81, has not missed a year. Right. 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 Yeah. So there's been which is bananas. It is bananas. So yeah, there have been some. There's been some Coppola action in '99, just not Francis Ford, but. Can I just pick what movie I really want to rent right now from 1999? Sure. Not, not the best movie or my favorite movie from 1999, but oh boy, it's pennant race season. It is. We are <laughs> we are inching towards the October playoffs of Major League Baseball, and it's the longest longest wind up to this I've ever heard. But go ahead, yeah, yep. I, I, I'm in the stretch right now. This is like a Hideo No moment. Yeah. Like he's just like arms way above For his head. For my Luigi. final <laughs> movie choice, no, and I want. <laughs> it felt like when he started saying this, he didn't know the answer. What he was going to wind up on, he's like he building lying. himself time. I yeah. did know the answer. It, it is 1999's, of course. For love yeah. of the game, Kevin Costner. Uh, Are you serious, Kelly Preston? Yes, directed by Sam Raimi. Directed yeah. by Sam yeah. Raimi. Sam Raimi. Wow. Yeah. Very part random. of the Costner baseball trilogy. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm all. I'm all. Do you like that movie? Really? Do okay. So. <laughs> no, I do. I like it too. Like, I, I think it's a, a really underrated movie. I like it a lot. Wait, but, Brian, but, can you tell John your idea for the podcast? It's probably never going to happen. But you and Cousin Pumpkin. Yes, yes, yes. So, so for, for love of the game, do I love? Do I like? Think it's an amazing movie? No. Is it a guilty pleasure of mine? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. You should have a one-off podcast that's called For the Love of, For the Love of. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But yes, uh, me and my cousin had devised a, a podcast where we cover 162 baseball movies during the baseball season and just put, oh, okay. put them out like it's a... It's a <laughs> Yeah, like like yep. like it's a baseball schedule. It's relentless. No one's going to listen to every episode, of course. You know, it would but- be basically impossible to make because you'd be making a podcast like every fucking day. Well, I think the idea was that they would few. go over to watch the Mets game together and then talk about a movie while watching the yeah. Mets game. Or maybe I right. added that later. No, too. no. Like I think we were talking about it like that, right? So we really wouldn't edit it. They would just be rookie like, of the year during the ads. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like th- between innings. Like we we'd watch the movie then come over during the game. Right. So it's like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, shit, look at that home run. Damn, that was a crazy scene. Right. Like three and three and a half hours of just, you know, 
a lot of baseball nonsense. It's never going to happen, and, and no one would listen to it. But maybe you know, maybe one day I'll do some sort of that. Would be fun. It's like a fun yeah. like YouTube live or a Spotify live show, though. I think if like you would have to do like it wouldn't it would be hard after the fact. But if you did it, if you put it out live, if people could watch you guys live, which might be dangerous with you and cousin Pumpkin <laughs> probably drinking and watching baseball together, but it'd be fun to watch live. Well, I go to too many in person baseball games. Do it live from the stadium, man. Do it from city. I mean, I, like I really want to watch the game and not be like. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this is a, this is a thing where like you basically don't watch the Mets for a full year. <laughs> yeah, like so, Major League Three, back to the minors. Was, oh shit! Look at this home run. You know, like that's like it's <laughs> that's not very practical. But I would, I have too many podcasts right now, but not as much as you, Joey. But one day I would love to do a baseball film podcast and just talk baseball. Like I, I've been um, criticized in the past for not having enough hot takes. On my podcast, I feel like a baseball Ooh, yeah. podcast, I would have, it would be all hot takes because I, I get heated with the baseball discussion. Well, I hear your former uh, co-host over on PS I Love Hoffman now loves baseball too, so I'm sure he has some baseball hot takes. Uh, he, he does. We were having an argument the other day when, you know, when his team, uh, whatever, I'm not going to get into it now, but <laughs> <laughs> we were having an argument. I appreciate the choice, Brian. I, I, it's one of those movies that I, I keep forgetting was also a 99 movie. And um, yeah, I, I, I really, I really like that movie. And uh, I, w- when we eventually get around to that, I don't know exactly how or when that's going to be. Uh, it might be like four years from now, but um, you are definitely on the yes. short slash only list as the guest for, yes. for the love of, for the love of the game. Um, some of this is sacrilegious, yeah. but I posted it when Vince, when Vince Scully passed away, some of the best Vince Scully broadcasting is in that film. I'm telling you. Yeah. 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 YouTube, yeah. Uh-huh, it's amazing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's so good. Yeah. All right, Brian, yeah. I have another question for you though. So you, you come up to the register breathless and you're like, here guys, for the love of the game. Cool. We're like, Oh my God, Brian, did you see over there? There's another sign. It says rent any movie you want for free, but it has to be your favorite movie. What movie are you? You're like, oh, fine, okay. And then you run back into the back of the store, back of this magical blockbuster in the sky. What's the other movie you're grabbing? Your favorite movie of all time, or just the movie you want to watch most? You know, tonight or this week or whatever. It, it, again, it's such a such a corny pick. It's not popular with the letterbox crowd because it's not a deep cut. But I love The Godfather too, and that's why I have a podcast with Mike Manzi. Which is called, of course, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, where, where we actually we—it's me drinking wine, unfortunately. So I get a headache the next day, and it's pretty bad. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I drink Coppola wine, and we discuss the films of Francis Ford Coppola. And I, I'm sorry, nothing, nothing has ever beaten in terms of my favorite film, Godfather Two. I just think it is perfect in every way, and I could—I I know it's really, really long. I could watch it on loop forever. So that's that's my pick. Solid choice. Solid choice. Thank you. I don't think I have anything else to add. Uh, I got no more questions. But I found out the girl who played Tammy died two years ago, which is oh really sad. Oh my god, um, that's that's a bummer. This doesn't feel long enough ago for anybody from this movie to be dying. Uh, she died suddenly no, and young. That's I terrible. think she was like thirty-eight or something like that. Um, and like it's a weird thing to watch a movie from like the fifties and be like, is anybody in this movie still alive? But to watch a movie about high schoolers from like twenty-ish years ago, which is like, oh ago. no, they should all be alive. There's some really good character actors in this movie too, who we didn't even like bother talking about. But um, the whole cast, really top to bottom, is is really really. The great. principal's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, you're you're so right. I told John on Facebook 
yesterday as I was watching the movie that having the like the principal kind of looks like Mike Pence and him yeah. saying what was the line like hey Fouch I don't like yeah. I don't like where this is going it just like <laughs> feels like very uh, weird and timely ominous yeah he's also I know he's in Parks and Rec that guy he's like yes the, yeah he is the yeah yeah manager mm-hmm. I think for a while mm-hmm. John I want to continue my uh vaguely opaquely giving a hint to the next movie that we're covering, but I haven't seen the next movie and I don't know. Like, I can't just say the name of the movie. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I can't do it. I can't do what I want to do. I need you to do this. You can't think of a good phrase. I can't unwrap a thing. I can't unwrap an idea. It work for you. uh, You aren't. Can't Rachel vice. My head, my head's in a vice. To the, I don't know. Brian, what do you what do you do? What's your podcast? Talk about your talk about your podcast. Well, first, and your first is, that are on the is the film Deuce Bigelow Male Gigolo. I have to know. I it's, wish you got it. You got it from <laughs> Rachel Weiss, uh, Mummy, and rapping something, and Brendan Fraser. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, well, I of course host uh, the aforementioned High School Slumber Party on the Cakeville Podcast Network. We talk. Never heard of it. <laughs> we talk a lot of. Uh, 1999 films, because this was, again, a great year for teen films, high school films. Like, Double-digit releases this year, which you never get in, you know, there's not a lot of years that do this. So um, th- there's an argument for what's the best year in film. I'm not someone who ranks the years like that, but it would be hard for me to argue if this was not the most prolific year in teen films. So we covered a bunch oh, yeah. of them. We'll cover some more. Of course, as we plan to do, I say, wait, it's me, as I plan to do this podcast until the day I die. And that is my punishment. Um, Also, Uncle Francis Wine Cellar, which I mentioned. Another sort of relevant podcast to your listeners is P.S. I Love Hoffman, the film where me and uh, Kyle Reinfried cover the films of Phyllis Zimmer Hoffman. He was in Magnolia this year, right? He was in a... we we talked about that and your podcast a little bit. Yeah, we covered mm-hmm. he was. I basically shouted out your podcast on almost every episode. <laughs> which <laughs> th- true. Thank you, thank you. That's very helpful. But also, I think is talented Mister Ripley this year. That's sure com- is. that's coming up later. But yeah, it is. There you go. Two yeah. big Hoffman films. So, hey Brian. Yes. How's the people? <laughs> love how's love that line. Love his character in both those films. Um, so you yeah. can check that out as well. And yeah, I mean, I guessed on a lot of shows, including this one. You're already checking this one out, so I don't need to plug it. All right. Thanks, Brian. Great to have you, Joey. Thank you very much. Go watch The Mummy and look out for frogs. Look out for frogs. <laughs> and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you.